Hey guys, it's Bennett. Uh, just want to let you know we had some technical issues with this episode. That's why it took uh, a little bit longer than we would have liked for, for the episode to come out. Uh, just so you know, we have a problem with the intro and there's a part in the middle that's still missing. So uh, Sage is talking with Bob McGovern and uh, there's a chunk in the in the middle of the interview where you, you'll hear the, the normal music fade in and then fade back out uh, to just to kind of... Otherwise, it's this weird jump, and I, I wanted to make it sound as best I could. So uh, enjoy the episode. Hopefully, there are no more problems, and uh, here we go. UMass fans on your tweets, and make some noise for your podcaster. Well, can you believe what's going on in the Atlantic 10 today? Oh, I remember man. when Penn State was in the Atlantic 10. <laughs> and he rips them down. Puts him in his seat and he looks at him and goes, that was fucking hilarious, but you really just got to shut up. I think I'd rather die in nuclear war than go to Olympia. <laughs> All right. So here's what, here's what I want to get to. We are seven years into what can, in my opinion, charitably be described as a challenging FBS era for UMass. So we're entering year eight now. Crazy. And really? say it again. And then it really is. It seems like it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it makes me feel really fucking old. But we're now entering years, what, three of being an independent? Three or four? Yeah, that's right. Is it the third? I believe we're getting into the fourth. Jeez. Uh, but yeah, I mean, three or four. So for those who don't necessarily follow all the dynamics, like, and, and sometimes I, I think maybe it's not so bad to be an independent. What's so bad inherently? Just playing, you know, uh devil's advocate here like what what is it so inherently bad about being uh an independent in, in football all right well so on one hand there's the bowl situation where it even like if umass goes you know they, they win they go eight four and the fans are you know through the roof because the football team is finally good and they can't even get invited to the potato bowl because everybody else has already claimed their spot. I mean, that's pretty devastating for a program. And it also definitely shows uh, how dire the circumstances are. You don't make any additional money. So you realize that really the only money you're making as a program is to go and, frankly, most likely get your ass kicked by an SEC team. So, I mean, that's one reason why it's not... So, and, and just for folks who may not be familiar with all the subtleties here, and I think many of our listeners are, but I'm just going to jump in and explain that with regard to his first point, bowl tie-ins, um, there are conferences have tie-ins with particular bowls. So it's like the fourth place team in in the AAC goes to the whatever bowl and so it's so there's a lot of that stuff is already worked out which is just so people know that and then the second thing about the SEC buy games conferences make money on television rights that go back to their members and if you're not in a conference you don't get any of that money so you need to make up that money by playing guarantee games on the road at schools that pay you a shit ton of money to come down there and lose basically um is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So you look at UMass. Let's look at UMass now specifically. Let's do the uh, forensic analysis here. Let's like let's really look at what we have going for the program right now. And I'm I'm gonna play the most cynical version of 
of a UMass, uh, a, a, not even a fan of a cynical journalist cause, or, or of a, you know, athletic directors from other schools or whoever's, you know, commissioners, whoever's making this decision. Right now you have a really great hockey program that doesn't move the needle in terms of conference realignment because football centric conferences don't care about hockey. There is no SEC hockey. There is no uh, is there a Big Ten hockey? They're they're in the CCIW, right? There is there is now, yeah. That's right. That's new, right? So that's new. Okay. Right. Um, well, that's why we're gonna eventually go to the Big Ten. So um, just throwing that out there. Uh, UMass Big Ten twenty thirty. Um, so so hockey, your best asset, Bamford's best asset right now, where all the momentum is in this athletic department, is really basically off the table in term from a, in terms of relevance with respect to this move, right? So you have a basketball team that's basically had five straight bad seasons, um, hasn't been to a tournament since 2014, has, and prior to that had not been to the tournament since 1998. So you got two tournament appearances in 21-22 seasons, not a tournament, no tournament wins in 24, and you have a football program that has that is an independent. In the Northeast, a region where college football is kind of not doing very well right now, and uh, doesn't doesn't have a conference, and uh, hasn't won anything in its seven years in the FBS. I hear what you're saying about the MAC, but for those of us like me who don't want to go MAC all sports, and see football's benefits as being something that can bring our entire athletic program to a bigger conference. What does UMass have going for it that an AAC, let's say, would even have any interest in taking? Uh, I guess that uh, it is the, the, the regional aspect of the conference and if they care about that kind of stuff anymore. Because it used to be that the uh, college football conferences took great pride in having a series of interlocking states that they could basically look at as their block, a uh, block of influence. And right now, uh, the AAC lost, theoretically, an entire block of the country. So if UMass can tell the AAC that not only can we build that block that you're kind of leaving behind, but we have an administration that is ready to make the investments necessary to not just be UConn light, but be UConn, but in, you know, maroon and white clothing, well, then that's pretty appealing because the AAC knows that UMass has been trying to get in whatever iteration of that conference has existed for the past 20 years, and uh, they're going to be a willing participant in whatever the AAC has going on, and they're not going anywhere, especially if you consider the fact that they are willing to, you know, go in lockstep with Temple to you know, the ends of college athletics. So I think that is probably fairly attractive, but I also recognize the fact that if the BYU even walks by the front door, I mean, that's who you go to. You go to a BYU. If Army walks by, you go to Army. But if UMass is knocking, seriously, they really want a seat at the table, and it's UMass versus Buffalo versus a couple of other schools, I mean, you have to think that UMass at least has a seat at the table unless one of the big ones shows up. Yeah, so I think I think I agree with you that if it's UMass versus Buffalo, there's a real case to be made for UMass. Um, I guess I'm just wondering more broadly, uh, and, and 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 look, I, I think I am 
Team AAC here. I'm just raising the question um, when you when you think about it. Basketball too. You're now without UConn, and it's 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 not ex- it, 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 the the peers. There's something about a conference that I know, and I know the conference landscape has changed, but there's still something that like look, call me old fashioned, but you want peer schools. That's why Hockey East works, I think, for UMass. Everyone at UMass has friends at UNH and UVM and and BC, and you know it makes sense. While I hear you that the AAC has Temple and you know some teams we have a historical connection to, with UConn gone, you got East Carolina, you got Tulsa, you got Central Florida. I mean, do you think that's really something that sells to the casual New England college sports fan? I mean, I think you're shopping in the same market as you were for St. Bonaventure. I mean, if you're telling me Memphis is coming to town, I'm definitely more excited for Memphis than I am Touché, touché, fair. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the team in the Atlantic 10, like, who do you get aside from just uh, recency bias? I mean, who do you get excited to play? You know, I'm right these days, I'm excited to play St. I'm excited to play Dayton because we usually have interesting matches with them. Uh, VCU, just because it'd be nice to punch up once in a while, but like, it doesn't feel the way it used to feel. You know? Uh, other than that, it's really just, okay, when do we play URI? How crappy are they to So, like, I'm not sure if I'm going to shed a single tear if we're, you know, the 15th team to realize the A10 is not a sustainable thing forever. But at some point, we're going to be the last big state school left on the table, or we're just going to turn to the URI, which I don't think anybody wants. So if we go to the AAC, uh, I think that will at least be among peer institutions insofar as larger land grant grants and or state and or Division One schools that, you know, we want to mirror ourselves after, at least in the athletic realm. Now, is that going to be something that we want to spend millions of dollars on? I don't know. And I don't know if I want to. Honestly, I don't know if I want them to be, because if they're not going to go all in, if it's going to be, you know, adding a press box, but on a slightly larger scale and hoping for the best, then I'm not interested. I'm interested in them just finding a stable home. And that's really been my argument throughout this process, and it's kind of pissed off a few people. Like, even when I made the back all in, uh, rookie back all in column, and, you know, frankly, I'm still, I'm not completely off that train. What I want for the athletic department is a modicum of stability that it has not had since I showed up in 2001. The thing is that the, the athletic programs have been kind of dispersed all over God's creation. We don't know what's going to happen with football. We're hoping for the best. If football goes away, we're, we are, frankly, we become a hockey team away from URI. And I don't want that. I think we're better than I think we're better than our peer institutions in New England, and that's what makes us a regional, if not national, university. UMass is better than UNH, it's better than Maine, better than Vermont. Those schools have decided to go small-time when it comes to football. We went the other direction. Now, we have sucked at it since we decided to make this decision, but at least it gives us a seat at the table. Those teams, those schools will never get a chance to anything besides what CAA returned to a Southern Conference and then beg the NEC for forgiveness. And that's not what we want. That's not who we are. So we need to figure out something. Uh, whether it's all in the AAC, we're making a sweetheart deal, we get the best Massachusetts lawyers we can to work with the MAC, we have to do something. So what does all in 
to the AAC actually look like if we were to do it? I mean, practically speaking. Uh, every single sport besides hockey and some of the ECAC uh, teams go to the AAC. Uh, my guess is, like, just to be the realist here, I mean, it's, uh, baseball probably goes away uh, by virtue of investing more in the athletic program. I assume we're going to have to add scholarships to uh, men's and women's soccer and uh, maybe even try to beef up some of the other women's sports that compete. Uh, now, other than that, it's, it's just the Atlantic 10 in a different home. It's just going to look like what it looks like now, but, uh, you know, everyone's under the same roof. I think you probably got to bolster recruiting budgets, too, and travel budgets, for sure. Oh, of course, and that goes across the board. I mean, it's really as, but, I mean, also, there are certain uh, sports that UMass will probably succeed in just by virtue of where it is regionally. You mentioned Rutgers, and that's one I, I love as an analog because it's super intriguing in that Rutgers somehow, it, it's sort of like, I think for a lot of UMass fans, like, look, if Rutgers can go to the Big Ten, then UMass can go to the AAC. Like, I think there's, because, the, of course, the Big Ten doesn't really want Rutgers anymore. Well, their fans don't. But the big thing about Rutgers, and, and this is what I was going to get at, is Ultimately, their move to the Big Ten for you know was precipitated by a string of big-time success under Greg Schiano in the mid-aughts, right? I mean, that was the thing that got the ball rolling. And so I guess I still believe, you know, maybe it's old-fashioned again, but that you have to show some evidence of meaningful on-field success that gets people excited before you can make the, the, the best possible case to those leagues. What does that look like under Walt Bell? Hold on one second. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Keep going. That's it. Um, so... Uh, so, so in other words, what I'm saying is, for UMass to be relevant, we need to um, we need to win some. We need to actually win, right? Like that. For, for us to make the the best case to the AC, we need to actually win. And so, what I'm asking is, what is the um, on-field success that would take? that would allow the AAC to take notice of UMass in a more meaningful way than right now? Like, what does that look like? Is that is that eight and four next year? Is that is that one dynamite season like a P.J. Fleck had at Western Michigan? Because I guess what I'm getting at is, I you know, Greg Schiano had a string of sustained success at Rutgers, and that prompted 
bigger conferences to say, you know what, these guys can draw 40,000 people. These guys can, and it, and it made them a more attractive option. Obviously, they had the New York media market and other things. But the point is, like, what does UMass have to do to make this, to make themselves a more appealing option with respect to on-field success? I, I don't, I, honest to God, I mean, they can't be a disaster, but I don't think it matters so much as them walking into the AAC offices with a blueprint that looks like another fifteen to 20,000 people per If they show them that and they show them a, uh, a bank note indicating that they can make that purchase, I don't think they care if they win three or four games. I really don't. And I don't think the Big Ten cared about Rutgers with Shiano. I think that they knew what they were getting to Rutgers, which was that old school uh, block, uh, being part of a bigger block with those now tacking on a Maryland and a New York and uh, kind of taking over regionally. And I, I think that that's what matters most. I really do. Because, I mean, any, you know, the Big Ten knows about Rutgers. Rutgers has been a flaming pile of garbage for 120 years in football. So, they, they I mean, they, the Big Ten, which is sort of the uh, big brother of the conservative Mac, knows uh, that it wants to kind of just it wants to be stable. It wants to be conservative. And so that's what it thought it was doing is the conservative move. Now, what the AAC is doing is they want to make a splash. They want to, in some capacity, have some sort of stability so they don't turn into a varsity conference USA, which is what they're turning into right now. So I think in some capacity, they want to show, they want to see that UMass is serious off the field. Uh, because what is UMass going to show? Uh, UMass is going to show that it can beat the teams that it's much better than, a la the FCS schools that it books just to get a win on the schedule, and that it is as good or maybe moderately better than the kind of crappy schools that it schedules, and then it's going to get smashed by the paydays. So what does that show, the AAC, other than that it sucks to be an independent? Uh, UMass needs to walk out there and say, you know, this is what we're going to build. Uh, now, should they do that? You know, that's... That's a bigger question, but uh, that's what they need to do if they're going to feel So I agree with everything you said with respect to the AAC and UMass. I think the point on Rutgers, I think I don't see the Big Ten taking Rutgers as a function of a conservative decision. I think I think that was about TV in New York and the Big Ten network, which basically the idea was you put Rutgers in there, you get all these additional eyeballs in the t- in that market, and everybody's paying a dollar twenty-five a month for the big, and that's the only selling point of Rutgers who sucked. So I saw that as like a purely financial play to 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 keep to get the Big Ten into the New York City market. It, but whatever it was, the question becomes: is is UMass selling itself in a similar way to the AAC in the Boston market? Uh, I think it has to. I mean, it certainly can't sell the Springfield market. Uh, I think that, you know, if UConn was able to say it has the Hartford stores market, uh, then UMass can say, you know, we're not that far away from that one. And, by the way, we're closer to an actual city in Boston. So, you know, in some respects, that has to be on the TV if they're going to try to turn it in. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, that has to be it. Uh, But, again... If any big fish decides that it wants to play ball, even if the Boise or BYU, I mean, it's open. UMass can't compete. So um, you got to see what the window of opportunity actually is here. But I think there is there is an opportunity. It's just a matter 
think it is for you, Ben. Yeah, I think I think this is this is all right. Um, you know, let's just step back for a moment and realizing that football is the driver here. Um, raise a, a more existential question, which I've posed, and people don't always like me for posing it, but does eight or ten million dollars a year on football at UMass? make sense and by the way before before you answer and assume that what i'm saying is let's get rid of football i'm saying actually one of two things i'm saying eight to ten million is a strange number in the sense that it's not nothing but it's nowhere near what it takes to compete even at the aac level i suspect even i suspect the lowest team in the aac i don't have this in front of me is at least 50 percent more than that maybe double it Let's just talk about whether it makes sense for UMass to be, I mean, I mean, in terms of the, the cost, where's that money going to come from? I do it. See, that's a tough question because I don't know if it makes sense. Uh, and that's why I am I'm optimistic and hopeful that the AAC uh, is an option insofar as I think that UMass can make money. I think they can break even and perhaps make a little bit of money on the situation. And frankly, in this day and age, if you are a UMass, if you are a Tulsa, if you are a uh, anything in that realm, like breaking even or making a couple of bucks on the situation uh, means you're winning. And so that, I think, is possible in the AAC. And honestly, I also think it's possible in the MAC. I do. Uh, I think it would cost less to break even in the MAC, if that makes sense. Uh, but I do think in both situations, you would put the football program in a place where it can at least tread water financially enough to coexist with the rest of the sports and, you know, still uh, maintain UMass as, as a player. Like, I, I know there are fans that think that UMass could potentially one day have a 50,000, 40,000 person stadium and be the old state you, you see in the movies. I don't think that's possible because I don't think that college football at large is trending in that direction. But I do think that there is a way for UMass to always have a seat at the table, always be on TV for me and my friends to watch, and always be kind of interesting. And that's all I really want. You know, we're not Texas. Uh, we're never going to be Texas. We're not Tennessee. Like, we're UMass, but I think that we can be at least interesting for long enough, or at least until college football itself capsizes. Which, like, could but that's like the underlying subtext here that that could happen before anyone even realizes it you know what i mean but i but i'm still saying you're saying that umass would break even just by virtue of the tv dollars being in the aac is that is that am i understanding that right because like i'm just trying to figure out if it costs you get, so, the, you get the tv dollars you get the trickle down from the bowl winnings from other schools and or hopefully umass and uh also you get an uh, increase in interest theoretically from the fan base that has been saying if you build it, they will come. Uh, and also, you still line up those pay-to-play games, uh, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know what? Maybe it's a little bit more attractive for BC to play you every single year because you're a little bit closer to the size of that bear. Uh, so I think there are there are more money-making opportunities in the AAC than in any other option. Uh, now, I don't think that will make UMass uh, rich, but I do think it can at least them on the level that's encouraging just because the way the way i was reading it is like 
you got to spend more to travel. You got to spend more to recruit. You got to spend more to, you know, pay coaching salaries. And yet, you know, I'm not sure that would lead that the mere presence in the AAC, you know, the possibility of Memphis coming to McGurk is going to do a whole lot to bring in added revenue. So I, I guess I'm encouraged to hear that you think that that it would be that it could be financially logical. But that also assumes, I think, that you're going to make the investment at the outset where you put in a chunk, a chunk of change to upgrade your facilities and all that. And that's really a big if. Right. And it's like you just said Memphis coming to McGurk and I can almost hear your voice kind of the, uh, you know, McGurk being a four letter word, because frankly, it is for our program. I mean, it's, it's not good. So if you can turn McGurk from being a anti-destination to a place to properly watch a football game, you know, who knows what that changes. Now, of course, you know, that, that takes that takes money and it takes the patience. Uh, and I don't know if UMass has uh, 50% of those. So uh, that, therein lies the problem. And therein lies the reason why I still, you know, uh, it's like the jealous boyfriend meme. I'm looking over my shoulder at the Mac, you know, because it's you don't have to do much in order to settle in among institutions that, quite frankly, have athletic programs of your size. And if not, we're a little bit bigger than a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the you're saying about the Mac schools? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, only I would say Buffalo and really Buffalo is the only one that I, I have respect for as a peer and yet that's kind of a an obnoxious statement of i think look i think i'm i'm one of these umass fans who thinks like the umass is above the mac and i know there's a there's a subset of people on twitter who think that that's a smug attitude and they're probably right i just think that if you're gonna do football at umass there has to be something aspirational about it you have to use it as an asset to to drive interest in in your other programs because if you're just a football only member of the mac i think to be clear if you go with uconn and buffalo's in that mix too i think that's that's great because i think that's sort of where northeastern football is heading not the school but the region um i'm fine with that but if it's if it was a just umass thing without uconn i i don't really have any interest in going to the mac now here's my real other question Let's say the Mac says, sure, you can come in football um, and we'll take UConn for football only. However, we also want the rest of your athletic department, uh, other than hockey, obviously, for uh, to come with us. And then the deal is contingent upon that. You taking it or no? Wait, wait, wait. wait. So UConn gets to go only football and UMass has to go all in? Yes, that's your premise. Oh, no, because then you just say UConn, we're not doing this, right? And then UConn looks at UMass and says, yeah, I don't want to be stuck with just Buffalo. And then they turn around and say, no, no deal. I mean, that's... Well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure UConn does, though, because I think UConn is, if they're desperate to get in a conference, like, I hear what you're saying, but if both UMass and UConn are independent, you could look at it as, like, well, both desperately want to get in a conference, and if one gets in without the other, like, fuck it, at least they're in a conference. I guess, but I don't. I don't buy it though because they're already dealing with their own infighting. And if you, if they turn around like, oh, by the way, we're going to the back, and no, no one's coming with us. And I don't know. First of all, I don't know if the Mac wants that because I don't think that's particularly sexy for the Mac, uh, especially since there's no, uh, you know, there's no uh, 
partnership that they can do that. They can't be like, okay, you can, you can come, but if you leave or Buffalo leaves before, like, there's no poison pill that the Mac can feed UConn in that situation. If UMass and UConn come together, the Mac can be like, hey, you one or both of you leave, and the other one has to get the hell out. Or if you both leave, and you have to forfeit all of your bowl winnings for the past three years or something like that. But I don't know if the Mac is interested in that either. Uh, but no, I, I think that the, the reason why the UConn leaving thing is interesting is because it puts UMass in a position where it doesn't have to make that decision. Okay, so let's go back then. UMass and UConn to the Mac, but it's contingent upon UMass coming in other sports as well. Wait, so, no, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, UConn is never going to the MAC in any other sport anyway, so how does that change anything? That's right. So yeah. UConn's not going to go for any other sport, so it's just going to be UConn football and UMass football. Right, and but... It's going to be some sort of basketball tie-in. Um, yeah, okay, but... Okay, okay, so let's say UConn stays... So let me modify it. UConn stays independent. Now... Or they're, you know, waiting around to figure out what their next step is, and they're independent in the short term. Mac comes along and says, we'll take you, UMass, for all sports. Uh-huh. You taking it or no? I'm thinking about it. I really do. you got to think about it. Uh, because, uh, let me put it to you this way. What happens if St. Louis goes to the Big East? What happens if BCU leaves? At some point, when, like, when is UMass going to stop looking at teams around the leaving and make a damn decision. You know what I mean? Because eventually, what's the comp, what's the A-10 going to be? There's only so many also-rans that it can grab the kind of stockpile. Because frankly, all the good schools that have football teams are already in conferences. And so who are you going to get to replace these schools? <laughs> the, the, the conference has, to its credit, been very creative in filling the gaps left by the power players who have left. But eventually, what are you going to do? So, I... Uh, so, I I kind of disagree with that, just to jump in for a second, because I think, like, basketball always provides opportunities of programs that have a seven, eight, ten-year run. I mean, like, you, you can poach College of Charleston if they want to invest a little more. You can you can poach Northeastern, who's had some really nice success in the CAA. Like, I think there's things you can do to make the Atlantic 10. I mean, look, it sucks to be a non-Power 5 conference, so, like, let, let, let that's first and foremost. But the power conferences aren't going to expand to 80. You're not going to, you might lose Dayton, you might lose VCU, but you can't, you're not going to lose everybody because at a certain point, like the power conferences aren't going to be the power conferences if they take too many. And I think basketball, the Atlantic 10, it's, it's, it's harder than it was 10 years ago for sure. But I, I, I think that the basketball specific schools, you know, are, are still out there and actually may become even more viable with, with football, you know, waning interest nationally, but that's maybe for another another entire episode. You, you know, you make so make your case for 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 Mac in all sports. I mean, that uh, first of all, the first part of my case is that I don't know if the Atlantic Ten is going to be that much better than the Mac forever. Uh, so that's number one. And secondly, at least. The Mac, in some capacity, is filled with schools that were similar to. Uh, these are at least large land grant state universities with similar funding for their athletic program, and frankly, similar success. And while the hype, 
hypothetical that I give all the time may frustrate people. I ask it because it is what I see the back thing for UMass is who would you trick? Would you rather be Miami of Ohio over the past 20 years? Who would you rather be UMass? And the answer, quite frankly, is not that close. It's probably Miami of Ohio. And so if you can be that, if you can be them, and you're in, the, you're in a tournament of some sort every other year, and your football team is going to a bowl game every three years, and your hockey program is good, then what is anyone complaining about? It doesn't matter if you play Eastern Michigan, the fifth game of the conference season, if you're playing somebody in the tournament, the postseason, because you're better than everybody else. And the other hypothetical that I guess, oh, if you go to the back, you're, you might lose. You might not be the same uh, program that you are now. What program are they now? They're not that good at anything aside from a, a handful of sports. So, frankly, to go to a place where they, by virtue of budget and uh, national recognition alone, they might finally be the big fish, I don't have a problem with that. And, you know, there's a few sports that might have to go to the chopping block, but guess what? It's happening anyway. It's going to happen in 10 years, so if it happens in 6 instead of 10, that sucks. But that is the state of play in college athletics across sports. And you know what? If they go to the AAC, those teams are getting the act anyway. If they go to the MAC, they get the act a few years later. So, that's the reality of the circumstances. The thing is, I'm trying to be a pragmatist about most of this. And, <clears throat> well, I understand that right now the Atlantic 10 better. I'm not sure if UMass is better. And I'm not sure if UMass is going to get better. So if there is a situation where that is on the table and we know Buffalo ain't leaving, well, then screw it. Like, let's just do it and let's find a stable home and for once and for all, at least know what we'll get in the, in the immediate future. But, you know, I, I know that people like the Atlantic 10. I do, too. But I'm not so attached to Duquesne and St. Bonaventure that I can't take on uh, Miami, Ohio, and Buffalo. It does. It's like, I, I sound like I don't you know, go to work and I said my, my, my co-worker, the Bonnie Band, gives me a hard time when they beat us again. It's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's something from a bygone era that I wish still existed but doesn't. So uh, you, you're right, but the, the examples of, of – you use Bonnie and Duquesne and you and then which is the shittiest, you know, like the, the most sort of UMass irrelevant schools in the A-10. But then you use Miami, Ohio and Buffalo, which are probably the two most nationally relevant schools in the MAC. And so if it's like that, yeah, I hear you. But at the same time, we're dealing with central Michigan, eastern Michigan, western Michigan, Boise, uh, uh, Ball State, um, uh, I mean, so the the bottom and middle tier of that league in terms of, you know, you may be right athletically, but and, and, and I may be delusional or elitist or whatever. But I think the flagship university for a state with the best educational, you know, institutions in the world should be aspiring to something more than the Mac. I'm just going to say it out loud. I think it's 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 not that those schools first of all if those schools were in the northeast i would be i would have a very be singing a very different tune but you're basically talking about the poor man's unh of michigan when you're talking about some of these schools there's nothing there's so buffalo yes 
logical connection, similar institution, natural rivalry. Both are in places called Amherst. There's a lot there to like. I'm with you. Miami, Ohio. Yeah, they've had some athletic success. Pretty good school. Apparently a beautiful campus, whatever. But beyond that, I mean, if you think of like the road trip possibilities in November to be to be at Bowling Green, these just these have nothing to do with UMass. And so it's not so. So my my case against the Mac has always been like to that to generate continued interest in UMass, you need them to be playing at a level that at least, uh, you know, they're compete where they're competing with institutions that are either regional peer schools like they do in Hockey East or that are nationally uh, semi-relevant in in athletics, right? And I think the A-10, for all its flaws, and I hear what you're saying, at least provides the latter. So I would rather, quite frankly, UMass football drop to FCS or not exist than to go Mac in all sports. And that may be short-sighted. That may be um, whatever. But I'm putting my cards on the table and I just, you know, make the case why why what I'm saying is so egregiously wrong. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is if you get rid of the queen, then it's really hard to win the game again. I'll no longer have the most, the, the most important piece to move the athletic program around if indeed you're in a situation where that needs to happen. I mean, Frank, frankly, you know, you have, a, you have a St. Louis, you have a VCU, right? Those, I would say, are probably the flagship universities of the Atlantic Canyon so far as quality of basketball. You don't think Dayton is more, more Dayton more than St. Louis? Uh, I, will, I will add them as a, as a, a, a triumvirate of flagship. But by the way, Dayton, just for the record, Dayton is not going to the Big East because Xavier would never let it happen. So keep going. Right, right. And, and, uh, but I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, so you, you have those schools, right? And so they may be able to position themselves uh, based on their basketball prowess alone, but say for Dayton, which, as you said, is kind of screwed, BCU and St. Louis might, just by virtue of St. Louis being what it is and BCU being what it has been. What is UMass going to do? What is UMass going to do if it gets rid of football and then those schools leave and then all of a sudden it is what? It can crown itself as the almost second best basketball school in New England? You know, I mean, it's going to be Rhode Island. And I don't want to be Rhode Island. I think the reason why UMass did this with football is to remove itself from these so-called peer institutions, the UNH, the Maine, the Vermont, the world, and put itself among something else. Now, the difference between New England and the Rust Belt is that the UNHs, the Vermont and whatnot, instead of sitting passively by and allowing things to kind of rot on the football front, chose to do something about it. And that's how you have a Northern Illinois a Toledo, uh, you have uh, Miami of Ohio and Buffalo. These schools made a decision, and it has, in some capacity, been very good. For them. So, I, I guess I, I understand that the Mac isn't desirable from like a, a an aesthetic point of view, but I mean these schools aren't that far removed from a ten schools, and you know I think you and I would love it if we could get if Maine. UNH, Vermont, 
UMass, UConn, URI. Everyone just went to Division One, started a football conference and a basketball conference. But you'd actually, you know what? We wouldn't want that basketball conference either because we're better than those schools. That's what makes UMass so unique. We're better than everyone in New England besides DC and URI and basketball. But uh, we're also not good enough at football to expand to a more uh, national level. It's just, we're in a very precarious situation. And I dropping football, I mean, is it an option? I mean, I guess so it's not. But is that, is that what we want? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think it makes us weaker as an athletic program, and it gives us less options. So uh, if I had to choose between the two, I would choose all in the back because I think that makes UMass more of a flexible commodity in the current state of affairs in college athletics. Well, and I guess, look, and I guess, you know, you're making a very good set of points here. And I was obviously being so provocative before. I, I, think, I think the other thing is you got to look at this long term. If you go to the MAC, it's not inconceivable that you start playing really well in the MAC and all of a sudden the, you can generate enough enthusiasm that maybe you go from there to the AAC, right? Like your full program. And that's not uncommon where programs go from, you know, within a 10 year stretch, they go into more than one conference. Um, so there's that possibility too, that if you go in there and you invest meaningfully in basketball, I think you, you can, you can win that league in basketball as we saw Buffalo has done, I think a couple years in a row now. Right. And I think that's helped their entire programs cachet. In fact, the Buffalo AD, the prior AD is now at Auburn. So, you know, it'll be interesting, but here's the thing. It's like, then you've really got to strike when the iron is hot. Because I think about Buffalo and their coach, you know, the hoops coach left for Alabama. And now it's like, well, are they ever going to be relevant again? So so there is the possibility they going to the MAC could give you the chance to, to go to another league, too, which I think. you know, So you're looking at it as a stable option. You could use the MAC also to be aspirational as well. So I I guess, you know, we could both agree on, on that. Um, I still believe, maybe delusionally, that on-field success or on-court success is critical to this in the sense that UMass fans, as we saw with hockey, will get engaged if there's real meaningful success at a national level, and they'll get engaged pretty quickly, and they'll, they'll be galvanized pretty quickly. And so I still believe that the best thing for any conference realignment talk is for either Matt McCall to go to a couple straight NCAA tournaments is for uh, and is or, or is for Walt Bell to win a bunch of football games in years. I don't think I think year one is kind of off the table, but in years two and three, because I think that that I think what what allows UMass to differentiate itself from um, Central Michigan is that look in the state of Massachusetts, basically in New England, you only have two Division One football teams, and so whereas in Michigan you have in addition to all those directional Michigan schools, you have um, University of Michigan and Michigan State, right? So I think, I think that is where I think on-field success would be uniquely beneficial to UMass's chances. A school like Central Michigan having Western Michigan having a great year, you know, makes a blip on the radar nationally, but you still have a bunch of other programs in that state that are getting, you know, getting the, the airtime. So I, I think, I guess I'm looking at conference realignment a little bit more through the prism of. Uh, success in the near term than you are? Is that is that fair? I mean, yeah. I, I, I guess, yeah. Uh, I am looking at college real, uh, football realignment in, in so far as 
you can make the, the deal with the Mac right now uh, with you And that is, to me, if a full only, the safest and best option for the entire athletic country. I really do. Because, yeah, I'd rather see, you know, UMass basketball stay in the A-10 if they can uh, and, uh, you know, play some, uh, you know, play in a slightly better conference. Um, so I think the best situation is to strike on the iron pot if you have UConn holding your hand and saying, we are the New England block, who wants some? And the Mac says yes, or someone else says yes, and move football up there, and it's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. I think we're totally on the same page there, and it doesn't even cost you, it's probably less money than, than it would be now. Right. It would be, it would be cheaper to play uh, Division One football. Uh, because you'd be making more money too, and you wouldn't have to kill your players four times a year. It would only have to be two times a year in order to kind of meet the budget. So I, I think that, it, it's, as far as me, as far as the pragmatic, not shooting for the pie in the sky scenario, you go back football with UConn, so then you look at a conference, you have Buffalo, UMass, UConn, Miami of Ohio, uh, maybe a Bowling Green, Ohio University. And you know what? I'm, I'm in for those games. I yeah, fun. I'm with you on that. Fun football. Um, and then basketball does what it does, and I hope it prays, like I do, that the Atlantic 10 remains the JV version of the Big East, but at least an entertaining one. Uh, and if it doesn't, then you can say, you know what? Back, remember when you wanted all of our programs? Well, it's time for, we want to come home. Uh, so I think that is the most stable and best possible option. I think the second... Uh, best option only because it is a little more risky is the AAC but if it's available and UMass really wants to get behind it like like 100% behind it then they gotta do that and I think that is great for the entire athletic well most of the athletic program say for a baseball or so uh, and then after that I think the third best option is back all in uh, fourth best option is a status quo and the last best option is to drop football and just acknowledge that you are uh, you are right yeah the, the the only counterpoint to that is uri basketball has been pretty fucking good lately and it's <laughs> you know i mean so there is something to be right like the reality is i suspect they've invested more in basketball since dropping football they also but and also and also wait you're not what they still that well yeah that's dumb um, and I mean, that's really dumb, but, but the other thing is, I think that you're missing is URI doesn't have hockey. So like, they're not going to be URI, even if they were to drop football and I don't want to drop football. Let me just, let me just come on the record and say that I don't want to drop football. I just see 20 years down the line. Look, people in Massachusetts, kids, the, the numbers of kids playing high school football in the entire Northeast are declining every year. So it's not, and it's, you know, yes, you can recruit nationally, but it still requires a lot of regional recruiting. So I'm, I just point out on the, in the two decade, you know, overview that you could actually be a much better URI because you'd be putting some of that money toward toward football and you have now a nationally dominant hockey program. You know, so I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm that might be my fourth option, not my last option, if it, you know, but I, I don't want to sit here making the case for dropping football i'm just raising the point that you know this purgatory where we've been in for a while if it doesn't um if it doesn't if you don't write that like 
basically, you can't go on at being a. Th- it, to me, there's no point in being a three-win football team every year for 20 years. I just I don't in, in any league. By the way. Right, and I agree with you. My thing is, is that if Temple didn't just give us the middle finger and vanish into that sweet good night, I think Mark Whipple would have gone 500 or better. And if we were still in the MAC, he might still be our coach. Um, so, you know, I don't think that, that we were forever destined for that. I think that you, you, you know, news traveled that UMass is going to get kicked out of the MAC. Guess what? A lot of those recruits that are coming to UMass. Those other coaches from other schools whisper in their ear, be like, I don't know, the independent? You're what just happened to Idaho? They just moved down. I don't think you're going to graduate from Division One school if you go to UMass. All of a sudden, you're losing recruits. All of a sudden, the trajectory of the program looks down. And so, I mean, how are you supposed to win in that environment? Um, so at least with the, the coaching change now with Walt Bell, it's a, an injection of energy, and maybe we'll get back to, you know, uh, the positive trajectory that we were on when Whipple first showed up. But I do believe that if we were still in the MAC, we would be one of the best, if not the best, team in the conference, save for Northern Illinois and Toledo. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it's a situation where if everyone knows that UMass is a MAC school, they start doing what Temple did, which is they tell kids, hey, would you rather go to UMass or would you rather go to Central Michigan? And then the kid looks at UMass and says, I'm coming here, and then you beat Central Michigan three years later. And so I think that we were on the right trajectory. It just the set of circumstances that befell the UMass athletic program has been such ridiculous banana land that I, I can't even imagine it happening to another school. It's just such a UMass thing to happen. You, it's so funny now that you're saying this because you start realizing just how – quickly all this shit happens and and there's so many points in in history in in the last 10 years where it's like you know what wh- why did we do that what but let's just really quickly talk about two of them before we go because because it's just dawning on me like holy shit yeah you're right first of all number one the decision to go to the mac how did that play out and how did it like it just it, it just came out of nowhere it was in 2010 after a dismal campaign where kevin morris was basically fired then we're like oh yeah we're going in 2012 to the mac so that was that's one and then how did that go down because it was was so abrupt and then two how did the decision to boot us from the mac go down oh well i mean the decision to go to the mac happened pretty quickly because the mac wanted uh, a pairing option with temple and uh, umass looked around and said this is our last shot because uh, if UMass didn't grab on and say, we're going to the back, um, you know, they're going the ways of uh, a URI or a Maine or a Vermont, frankly, uh, and this is the end. So they saw it as an opportunity, and they had a willing partner and Bob Kraft, and, and they were able to do it. Um, they did it at the worst possible time, because as bad as the football program had been in a decade, uh, but that's worth a break. Uh, now, why is the Mac and who is the precipitation besides the Mac kicking UMass out? Well, let me tell you something. That, to me, tell me a moment in history. The fact that nobody at UMass, uh, that UMass didn't bring in an extra lawyer, that UMass didn't bring in one more negotiator, that UMass didn't tell McCutcheon to go stand outside and let the adults talk, when they were signing that contract and have someone say, you know what? 
we love Temple, but we really love the Mac. And we're going to play football in this conference for 15 years, 20 years at least. And if we leave before then, you can take $10 million from us and put that in the contract instead of if Temple leaves, then you guys can kick us out unless we go all in and put. I mean, what? So Okay, so that was the deal. Temple gets, gets poached by the AAC. It was that recently? Yep, that was it. So when, if Temple left, then we either went all in or we had to leave. What a – why the f- – that is so insane just when you spell it out. Like – because it's not like they had – they should have had that much leverage over us. Like It's it's like that they were willing to just drop us at the – you know, I mean, wouldn't, why wouldn't they just want to keep us? Is it that they need – and, and, Why wouldn't UMass simply say, okay, actually, that's a really interesting point. I see that you guys want to stick around and that you really like having the temple. Uh, but how about this? How about if we leave? Regardless of what Temple does, we will give you the equivalent to 10 years worth of TV dollars from that. Or anything. Because you know you're sticking around. And instead we just like shrugged our shoulders and one day we just realized we're no longer in the Mac. Or nobody tapped Temple on the shoulder and said, hey fellas, y'all sticking around? Or if you didn't believe them, have a spy or a private investigator or hire somebody to figure out what the hell is really going on. Pay a secretary $100,000 to tell you what Temple's really thinking. Because that, it's a million dollar decision. Like, how is this, anyway. To me, that is one of the great mistakes in follies in UMass history. And you know, it's interesting, You, it, it's not, it's one that's not been mined a whole lot. Like, you don't, that, that was fairly recently. And you don't, you didn't get a ton of coverage at the time, if I recall. Am I making that up? I mean, while I was still running the Muramuska at that time, I will tell you that I lost my mind uh, multiple times with columns and articles about it. I know Matt Botour wrote about it a lot, and I believe at that point um, it may have still been Harry Bloomer, in which case uh, I think. No, I feel like Malone was on board. This is what, 2015? Well, so so UMass was in the MAC in 2012 and 20. UMass never played. UMass never played Temple in the MAC. Wait, wait, when we lost that heartbreaking game against Temple at Gillette, that they wasn't. Were, they were a MAC school. Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was very quick. It was pretty devastating. But you're but you're not intimating that UMass could have followed Temple to the AAC, correct? No, I'm saying that whoever agreed that we were somehow attached to Temple. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, I think that was a, a crucial error. And while they may come back and say you were in the room, you don't know, maybe not. But I know that if you get enough uh, seven-figure attorneys in the room, they'll come up with something better than that. Because that's, that's, a, that's a crucial error that the school made, and they're still paying for it. We got cut off there for a second, but Bob was concluding by making a, a strong case for the 
long-term stability and strength of the Mac, I think he makes a really solid point. I made the point that that basically puts UMass in the position of what Buffalo's been the last four or five years, but with with a great hockey program that Buffalo, I don't think Buffalo has hockey. I also did, however, raise the question, and I I think it's important to to note that the question of whether um, having a football program at UMass precludes both hockey and basketball from being um, good. And Bob, you're saying no, not necessarily. Right. And that's why, and I, you know, not to be a dead red hawk here, but I mean, that's why I, I turned up the Miami of Ohio situation. It's because they do have all three in some respect. Their football team goes. No, their basketball team is dog shit. Yeah, but their basketball team is just a more NCAA tournament than UMass has had in the past 20 years, and that's a no-doubter. Their football team is just a more bowl game than UMass has, and that's a no-doubter. Wait, when did Miami, Ohio hoops go to go to the tournament for basketball? I mean, I don't have a Wow, that's depressing. Holy shit. But that's the reality of the situation. I mean, why not? I mean, like, why not be them? Right? I mean, that's, and also the same with the, the, the hockey team. The, the, they are the example of how you can be all three. And I don't think that that is, whether or not basketball stays in the eighth half, I'm, what I'm saying, I'm using Miami as an example, is just because you have football as a middle-sized school, it doesn't mean that everything is going to suck. Miami is pretty good at everything. And frankly, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I've said it during this interview, I would trade positions with them tomorrow. I would have traded positions with them 20 years ago. They they do it better than you, Matt. They do it right. It's so sad because 20 years ago, UMass was two years removed from a Final Four, having won a Division One AA national title, and, you know, a new Mullen Center Let's be real. Like that was the time to to go. Right. Oh, and excuse me. They they went in uh, 2000 2005. So it's not as often as I said, but it's been 2000 2005. So that's oh, baseball. I'm sorry. This is what happens when I try to do research on the fly. Um, the basketball program has been to the NCAA tournament 92, 95, 97, 99, 2007. I mean, that's just objectively better than you have Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's tough. <laughs> that is really tough. Like, because there is, I just think, like, it, it really, wow. It really bring, drives home the, because, like, I think in my mind that I've moved on from, like, the Calipari years. I'm like, you know, we're a different type of program, and we are what we are, and blah, blah. But, like, first of all, like, I haven't, because I didn't even go to UMass, and my entire fandom is basically built around eight, not being eight, nine, and ten under Calipari. And so as much as I, like, realize what we are and just enjoy it for what it is, it's fucking crazy. Because when you think about it, like, I came to this program because they were a legitimate national power. Those were the formative years. And so no matter, and I just think we should be self-aware of this, like psychologically as fans, like if that's when you came to this, this endeavor, you're never really going to be able to accept 
where we've fallen. And maybe, just maybe, there's something nice about that. Maybe that delusion keeps a flame in the fire for being more aspirational. Maybe there's something to be and maybe I'm just justifying my own craziness, but there's something to be said, I think, for at least having seen the way in which we can be at a high level. And let's be honest, same thing this year with hockey. We saw it with lacrosse in 2006 at the Final Four. There's enough of a fan base there and there's a large enough of alumni base and you're dealing with a school that is frankly, much better than it was 20 years ago, a much higher regarded. I think since the Great Recession, the flagship state university of UMass has become, I mean, this has been written about by others, blah, blah. The point is, I still think that it's not completely delusional to believe that UMass can permanently transcend Mac-like status, whether that's the AAC or whether 20 years from now that's something even beyond that. I think we should look at the Mac as a real possibility, but we should look at it, and I know they won't like us saying this, but as a temporary home, whether that's for five or 10 years or, you know, whatever, to, to use as a, as a springboard to, to, a, to a bigger conference. Like, do you see the Mac at all as being, as being used for that? back up for a second here, because I think you brought up something pretty interesting there with the Calipari here. Uh, I did not care about the events of the Calipari. They, in fact, I disliked them. Uh, my, uh, my dad uh, spent some time at Temple, and frankly, growing up, I liked Temple. And so, uh, Temple, uh, UMass Can't, You're canceled. You're canceled. No, keep going. I know. I, I liked Temple during that period of time of my life, and uh, UMass was a non-factor. In fact, they were closer to an enemy. Uh, so when I got to UMass in 2001, um, what I ended up seeing... Wait, where were you from, by the way? Where were you from? I'm originally from New York, and I did most of my growing up in Florida. Oh, interesting. Okay, so how did you pick UMass? Uh, it was between UMass, uh, Rutgers, and Michigan State, and I just felt uh, most comfortable UMass when I got there. I just liked it. My dad and I both uh, had a good reaction to it, so I went there. Got it. Okay, keep going. So, I mean, to me, I I show up in 2001, and I show up for what could probably be described as the worst basketball UMass had played since the early 90s and the 80s. Uh, and so since, I since literally cool. 90, because they were good by 91, but yeah. Yeah, so I thought the worst possible bat. I saw the I saw Steve Lapis, uh, and uh, I saw you know Travis Ford, which was interesting, but never got over the hump. Oh, because you uh, saw you were there for Ford's first year. I covered Ford's uh, introductory press conference. Yeah, that was one of my uh, one of my final uh, stories. That That's was there for the entire Lapis. Uh, yeah, you, that is was a really shitty era. Like even I was checked. I remember my sophomore year of high school because I'm three years younger than you. My sophomore year of high school, I didn't go to a single UMass game, and I remember it being like a no. I remember being like, "Holy shit!" I didn't go to a single UMass game. Whereas four years earlier, I was like, "You wouldn't miss one for the fucking world," you know. But anyway, keep going. So, so I think part of where I come from, and maybe it's too conservative, is because I come from a place where I never saw any of that. And if I, when I did see it, I didn't see it as a fan. I saw it as just somebody watching the tournament casually 
and this was the team wearing maroon and white playing Syracuse. You know, it did, it wasn't it wasn't particularly interesting to me because there was random teams. So I never experienced UMass when UMass was the UMass for the nation knows. And so to me, I have seen the past almost twenty years uh, as a man who has seen a lot of mediocrity and has been hoping for some degree of stability. And so I think that's maybe why you and I come at a lot of things from different angles, because you have that, uh, you know, heart mind connection to some great days that I just don't have. You know, I have to watch tapes and say, well, that must have been very interesting to people who cared for you back then. Uh, but, like, I just don't have that history in my heart. And so, for me, I know what I've seen, and I know what I hope for, uh, where you, you've seen the good stuff, and I think maybe you and a lot of other UMass fans really think that if something like that can happen again, and perhaps the A-10 is the only way that it can happen. Yeah, and to be clear, I don't think it can really happen again, or, it, I mean, in, to be clear, if, if it could happen again, I think it would happen in the fashion of, like, George Mason when they went on their run or, you know, I think UMass could like be the sort of team that cat in, in next year, frankly, I think they could catch a, a you know, a, 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 a 10 seed or a seven seed or something and beat a two, you know, like, it could happen like that. that. That's what I see. I don't, I, I have no, I'm under no, it's not like hockey where you can legitimately be a national power. It, it consistently like and I always thought that even when UMass hockey sucked you always were like well they're in the best league they have a good facility I don't have those illusions about basketball I just but I do believe that because it's a flagship state university that's on the rise in a in a state with you know that's that's uh, has a pretty strong economy blah 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 and because I do recall like viscerally powerfully those those experiences I I I have a hard time, admittedly, accepting the the notion of stability, in part because, like, there's just not enough Bob McGoverns out there who will support, like, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think in New England, I think that the, even if you're eight and four every year in the MAC, I don't see them getting more than 13,000 people to games, no matter what they do, if they're eight and four. And that's where conference affiliation, I think, matters because, say we know about the AC, but, you know, you get, you're eight and four and you're playing Cincinnati. I think that takes it from 12,000 to 23,000. And I think that's significant. And so I, I think that's the, the justification for the aspirational play, whereas the stability play, I don't think ever gets, generates the kind of enthusiasm that makes UMass, um, like even regionally relevant football wise but I, I'm not sure if that I'm not sure if that is necessarily the case because okay so you you, you the best case scenario for, for basketball is a George Mason situation which would be amazing but like in reality if they made it to the second round of the tournament every five four or five years I think people would be pretty happy yourself and present company included right What's the difference between that and going going to the second of the NCAA tournament and going to a middle bowl, bowl game? I mean, they're effectively the same thing. If you're guaranteed to lose in one, you're getting, you may you may win the other. What's the difference? So I no think bowl? yeah. To answer the question, I hear what you're saying it's a good it's a good thought experiment. Some of it comes down to the fact that I think 
you are probably just and we should just put our cards on the table. You're probably more of a football guy than and I'm more of a basketball guy. And my case for the second round being better than a middling bowl game is, well, first of all, if the location for the bowl game was good, then you have a case <laughs> that that's a big factor. Um, but in, in all seriousness, I think that there's something about the NCAA tournament that we know is is so magical because there's at least the faint possibility of something happening there. Right. Like whereas a bowl game. You win and OK, you can maybe crack the top 25 or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, yes, I hear what you're saying. Practically speaking, if you told me that we're never ever going to get out of the opening weekend, then sure. But look, the, the great thing about the NCAA tournament is that crazy shit happens and that can like fucking LaSalle made a sweet 16. You know what I mean? Like not that long ago. It's it's so. So, you know, there is something about that experience that is as a fan it is unlike just is just unlike the bowl game dynamics. No, and I, I, I uh, some degree I agree with you, but I, I have a thought experiment here for you. Would you rather win the NIT championship at Madison Square Garden, or would you rather win the NCAA hockey championship in Buffalo? Absolutely, unequivocally, even as a basketball fan, I would rather win the national hockey championship. All right, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to say. I just want to see how far on the basketball side you are. Unequivocally, and 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 look, I've done the NIT final. Like I, 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 a friend who works in professional sports got me a box at the NIT final. You know why? Because nobody wants a fucking box for the NIT final. So he knew that like, oh, I'll get my UMass friend like a fucking box at the Garden, and it'll be really. The point is like, you get there, and like, actually, Shannon Crooks was in the box next to me, um, in the same box. But the, but the point is, you walked out of there and, you know, it was a nice moment, right? But, like, I don't have lifelong memories of, of the box in Madison Square Garden for UMass Stan. I think it was Stanford? Was it? it was, yep, Ray Lewis made the, uh, oh, no, you know what? It was the, for the finals, it was Ohio State. No, Ohio State was the year with Travis Ford, but the next year they lost in the semis. So final, Stanford. Yeah, the the year with Derek Kellogg, I went. Okay, yeah. Now, yeah, the Ohio State Florida run in in two thousand nine. You know, you could make a case for that, but um, at this point, Florida, Ohio State, hell of a run. Yeah, no, no, that was like you could make a case for that over over the hockey finals, but uh, only because of opponents and a unique set of circumstances, and 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 you know like the fact that also the fact that there was a belief that like okay this is the that's the one thing about an NIT run is like it's the start of you you delude yourself into believing it's the start of an NCAA run. Um, the next or your South Carolina, you just keep going to the NIT final. Yeah, although they made the Final Four in basketball eventually, um, many year, many years later. But yeah, no. So I mean, I, I'm absolutely team hockey Final Four because that that the high stakes and it matters. Um, but it's worth noting that I think nationally, like, look, there's a good case to be made for like UMass to just be a hockey power and like become like North Dakota, right? Like that in a crazy sense is like the model because Western mass is uniquely suited 
to supporting a national power hockey team year in, year out, and having it be like its own thing that exists outside of Boston. That's like, so that's cool. But I guess like UMass is still the university that produced Dr. J that produced Marcus Camby that went to a tournament five years ago. And I think you have to continue to invest in basketball in the state of Massachusetts where all these prep powers are, it's not going anywhere where it doesn't, you know, football is, is, is a, sport in trouble and I guess I still just believe that investment in basketball at UMass is critical for the overall viability of the of the school and that it's it's that it remains its number one asset and that football however has the ability to make UMass basketball an interesting piece in other negotiations that's why I see football as valuable I think it can it can help with, with basketball uh, but I, I, I ultimately I'm going to wrap this up by saying winning like, look, you can't tell me that if next year against the you know doable schedule, UMass busts out an 11 and one record. You can't tell me that that doesn't dramatically transform the conversation about conference re, uh, conference realignment and UMass becomes a legit like AAC wants you. And I think. That right now, the, 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 the short-term strategy is let Walt Bell recruit the shit out of that program and make it into something that is compelling and wins and makes it an option for somewhere beyond the MAC. That's my immediate concern for football. Yeah, I mean, of course, that, that's what you hope for, uh, but uh, you need to know they're going to spend the money. That's the thing. If they're going to send the money, that, that, that is the ultimate. That's the ultimate reason. It's undefeated as an intent. Uh, but it's proper, but it's just a minor You're not going to go anywhere. Obviously, when I used to believe, and I have heard that the way UMass played against Michigan in that last uh, go round, the 1AA team, yeah. had a big effect on that. So, yes, there are still people that kind of make decisions by their heart or to their pants. But at this point, to go to the next level, you're going to spend more money than you did to kind of do this weird Gillette, press box, kind of half-ass with their stuff. And where are you going to get the money, Bob? That's my last question. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know the answer because I don't know what's in the war chest for athletics. I don't know if um, if, if uh, Marty Meehan has a lofty goal for UMass, a la what he did for UMass Lowell uh, by making them go Division One in basketball. But it's way more expensive to go to the AAC than it is to go take UMass Lowell in a couple of sports. You know. Right. Of course. But I don't know if that he. Mass football is the macro there, and, and that they that they need to pour money into this. Uh, but I, and, and frankly, it's up to him. I know there's a lot of people say a lot of things about him, but if there's one thing he is good at, it is compiling a lot of money for the assets that he believes in. And so, if he is behind football, well, then I think that there is a possibility that they can make that move and they can look for them. By the way, I have been told from very reliable sources that he is supremely invested in still, probably because he remembers the 90s, 
in men's basketball and that it was his in many ways that that he got on the phone and called Bamford and I, I don't know how reliable this is but it's it rings true so I'm going to stick with it so I, I, I will I will say I will caveat this with I'm not sure that this is the most reliable accounting but I have heard that the straw that broke the camel's back was when Kellogg lost that game by 30 against Duquesne on the road he got on the horn with Bamford and was like figure it out dude because this is our marquee program and we can't be losing to Duquesne on the road by 30 and lo and behold three weeks later he was out and many people thought he was going to get that extra year so he definitely is cognizant of these things he's definitely i'm sure keenly attuned to these dynamics right now i would love and and he may end up being the driver of some of this so it is worth keeping an eye on on his public statements if there are any and if we had a more vigorous uh press about the about higher ed in massachusetts uh which is not a function of course of uh the press themselves but of of resources i would absolutely encourage them to ask him that so if you happen to cover higher ed in the region or know someone who does go pick marty Meehan's brain on on conference realignment and see if he's got anything interesting to say fair is that fair and and, and listen um i think I'm not to go off on a tangent of the press coverage of the UMass athletic stuff is falling off. Uh, I think Wallfish is doing what he can. Uh, he started off in a really weird situation with Whipple and not whatnot. But, like, Mass Live needs to get on the ball. Uh, you know, you need to have the Herald and whatnot covering uh, UMass. Uh, but they're not doing it, and they're not doing enough to stop. And I think that the reporters there, if they heard me say that, they know I'm telling the truth. Because the fact of the matter is, if this was Tennessee and an alignment situation happened that could have affected the volunteers, uh, you can bet your ass that there would have been a reporter who would have called that version of Marty Meehan and asked the question. And the fact that no one has gotten a no comment from him yet means that the question hasn't even been Are you saying that this show, Bob, should should just drop an email to the uh, to the press to this press staffer for uh, Marty Meehan tomorrow? Because maybe Why I will. Get the, get the first no comment. I feel like we're I feel like we've achieved quasi legitimate status enough where we could ask that question and it's not preposterous. Well, first of all, first of You know what? Fuck it. I'm I'm gonna ask to get him on the show. <laughs> do it. I wouldn't I wouldn't Twitter shame him like you did with Paul Bell, but I mean. Yeah, that was that was a little that was a little distasteful. Although I'll tell you that that yeah, they we're getting him on the show, so it worked. Is that right? Yeah, I and I've been a I've been really bad about following up. They they wanted to make it happen. They gave me a date. I couldn't make it. They wanted me to go in person. I couldn't make it that date. Uh, so I, that's on me, and I was a dick at points. Are we breaking news right now? Um, I've 
told people, a couple of people asked me on Twitter, and I, I think I responded as basically as I'm saying now, but this is, is modestly breaking news. And basically, I, I told them, I was like, I was going to be in Western Mass, but I ended up leaving Western Mass earlier that day, and I, it's just like been a bunch of back and forth. So, Walt, you're off the hook for now. You, you've, been, you've done the right thing, and it's on me to follow up. So as much as I was kind of a dick on Twitter, it, it, it did work, and I know it sounds crazy, but... This show has been getting upwards of over a thousand listeners per show, which, like, in the world of UMass, um, you know, for for our better shows, in the world of, like, that's not insignificant. Um, so I think, like, it's not preposterous to raise the question: Hey, can we get we got Calipari on the show? We could get Marty Meehan for twenty five minutes. Yeah, why not? Also, I choose to believe that you're getting Walt Bellman. So I, I'm, I'm considering that a Marumaskin scoop right now, right here and now. Tweet it. Tweet it out. Oh, well, but at least tweet it with the caveat so people understand that I wasn't just, like, lying. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll, I'll let, uh, you know, that, that's not for me to say. Um, but, no, I, uh, that's awesome. You guys are doing a good job. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on. If you want to plug anything, now's your chance. No, man, just support local journalism. That's all I have to plug. Please do. Support local journalism so that shitheads like me aren't the ones asking these questions. <laughs> we all, we, every community needs a shithead to ask the right question. That's fair. All right, Bob, thanks for coming on. Cheers. Thanks, man. See ya. It's time for Sam the Mailman, your UMass Athletics mailbag updates. Okay, let's go to the mailbag tonight. And here's what we have. Borges, J. Borges 17, John Borges, great friend of the show, says, Thoughts on how a tough out-of-conference can affect a young team and how it can help prepare for A-10 schedule. Also, UMass exceeds expectations this season if... So, first part of that question. Um, I think that it, with a young group, and it's hard to say, I'd love for a friend of the show, McKinney, to find some stats on this because I'm really going off a hunch here, but I think a tough out-of-conference can be good for a young team like this because, look, it'll help... First of all, help them get better. Good competition will help them get better. I also don't think it's so going to discourage them, right? I mean, there's enough games in there. You had a road game at Fairfield, right? That's a very winnable basketball game, and it's also a road game, so it gives you an opportunity to win on the road. Um, you have Lowell, you know, you, you have plenty of shit teams in the mix, so it's not like the games against, and, and by the way, you know, assuming they lose to Virginia, they'll likely play a really bad St. John's team with a first-year head coach of its own, having lost most of its talent from last year. So even that is not as, you know, daunting a game as it might sound. Yale, a tough team, you know, from last year, their best player went to the NBA. They lost some other kids. It's not the same group that made the NCAA tournament, likewise with Northeastern. So I don't think they're, like, playing an insane schedule. It's a tough schedule, but it's a good schedule, and I think it'll help them get better, yes. Uh, UMass exceeds expectations this season if, I think, if Samba and uh, Sai take the necessary steps that I think they're capable of. Um, and, of course, if Trey Mitchell is as good as I'm expecting he is. Um, but I think the latter will be the case, and the formal, former um, will be, you know, huge. And then also, 
uh, one they've got to establish some consistency at point guard, whether it's two guys playing the role and putting up the numbers of one and, and getting it done. That's one thing, but they, they can't be inconsistent and bad at that spot. Sitchman, our Sitchman says, give me top three must attend hoop games. Uh, certainly Virginia uh, defending national champs at Mohegan Sun is going to be tremendous. Um, VCU, a definite top 25 team coming to the Mullen Center, I believe. Yeah, so that's a definite. And then Rhodey's going to be pretty good. That's always a fun one. It'll depend, I think, somewhat on what the weekend games are. Um, but those are my those are the ones I kind of have circled on the calendar right now. Stu Ludicky, S. Ludicky, 93, great friend of the show and great commentator on Atlantic 10 basketball more generally. He says, what A-10 city besides Philly and New York do I need to fly out from Denver to see a game in? I guess Richmond is the logical answer there uh, because you have both VCU and um, – Richmond, and it's a fun town, I'm told. Um, but I, I think D.C. is worth your time. I mean, I make fun of D.C. as a city a lot, but I think you do have George Mason and, and George Washington right there. The Smith Center is a fun place to catch a game. So there's a case to be made there. And then, you know, Dayton is obviously supposed to be a great arena, but I don't think there's much going on in Dayton. So I'm probably going to say Richmond. Um, Andrew Lonardo Roy asks Trey Mitchell, A-10 Rookie of the Year. And I'm going to come out right now, if he's listening, if anyone who knows him is listening, I'm going to say yes. Rise to the challenge. He's that good. Um, I have realistic expectations. He's a freshman, but I think he could put up 12 and 6, 12 and 7 and be right in the mix. And if he exceeds that, I think he could win it. Gabe... Rosenberg, Gaber 205, great friend of the show, says, we're going to be good, right? And I say, it depends how you define good. I think we are going to be enjoyable for long stretches. Good, in the absolute sense, remains to be seen. UMass Fan 33 says, thoughts on importance of T... Oh, before I forget... UMass Fan 33 has been reminding me to uh, let y'all know that the Court Club golf outing, September 23rd, I believe it's up in um, Bernardston at that beautiful course, uh, Fox, wait, Crumpkin Fox, which I've heard great things about. Hit them up, UMass Fan 33, if you're interested. It's going to be a fun event. Get it together. Maybe we get a UMass Twitter team to go. It's a Monday. It's, it, I, I cannot recommend it enough. Go if you if you can. And you can afford it. it. Sounds really fun. He says, thoughts on importance of team chemistry to get through the cold, hard grind of the A-10 schedule. Obviously critical. Um, but you got to have talent, too. I mean, you can have the most united group. And if they're not good, then, you know, it'll steal you a couple wins, but not enough. So I think it's huge. And I think it definitely hurt last year, the lack of it at times. Not even necessarily lack of team chemistry, though. I think it was lack of... I think the guys probably liked each other for the most part, but they didn't necessarily all give enough of a shit. So that's kind of a thing, too. I guess that's related to chemistry, but it's slightly different. Mike Lacapo, are we too good for the Mac? Uh, go to my, my conversation with Bob. 
Ceiling for hoops this year asks um, Johnny. Wait, who's asking this? I know his real name in real life, but I don't want to say it on here. Johnny Blair, 12. Ceiling for hoops. I think the ceiling, the total crazy ceiling would be 20 wins, including A10 conference and maybe some postseason. Slightly more if you count like CIT or CBI or whatever those are as postseason because everybody can win games there if you're in the A10. Although we might not even accept the invite to something like that. Uh, So 20 would be like the absolute ceiling, but... You never know. Chris Tucci, who works for UMass Athletics, does a wonderful job, says, your thoughts on our workout content? It's a bit of a joke because I sometimes make fun of it. I don't really care seeing kids lift, um, but I think for what it is, you do a fantastic job. It's just not my preferred content. Um, UMass Man, you UMass Man is the handle. I know it's early, but who do you think will be the starting five the first game? The answer is Samba, Sai, Carl, Trey, and probably Keon in the first game just because he has experience. But I would not be surprised if um, certainly it would expect one of the freshmen, um, Sean East or um, Jalen Mitchell, to, or excuse me, Colton Mitchell, to uh, potentially take the reins. Um that was a similar question Nick Baker 63 asked uh, but so let me he also a- asks for a projected depth chart with new additions so I just named the six really seven who I think will be in there but only because uh, Colton Mitchell or Sean East one of them will probably get a bunch of minutes at the point, maybe both. So if it's both, and that's my seven, because Keon being the other who will maybe play a little at the, at the one, but he's still sort of a combo guard. I don't think you want to rely on Keon at the one. Like he does, you can, he's very adept at in that spot, but you don't want him to be your go-to point guard. So that could be your top seven just by virtue of the fact that I think the ones will all get minutes, and so they'll all, you know, so they'll all be sort of in the mix. But beyond that. I think I've heard really good things about Preston Santos's development in the uh, summer thus far. So he's, you know, I think we're going to learn a lot in this Virgin Islands trip next month because you're going to see different combinations and it'd be very helpful. Um, So I'll certainly have a better idea after that. But I will say that I've heard very good things about Preston's development. And I think that TJ Weeks is a scorer and a smart basketball player, and he'll get a bunch of minutes. So those two. C.J. Jackson is my interesting wild card because I think he has incredibly high, um, an incredibly high ceiling um, and is long and can dribble a little bit and provides a lot of uniqueness. But I don't know how ready he'll be as a freshman. We'll see. Um, who else this roster? I don't think Kalea gets a ton of minutes. Uh, oh, I forgot Baptiste. Man, he's probably in your top eight, actually, now that I think about it. So let me, let me be And Bugs, I think, will get some minutes, at, at, you know, at the one as well, just because there's, there's such, um, there's such a void there in terms of established talent. And then, fuck, who am I missing? Who's the last person I'm missing? I got all the returners. 
Who is the last fucking person I'm missing? While I look that up, um, I will note, I think, that in many ways... six or I think bugs will probably take a year to develop so he and Kalea might not get as much run but the next six will be with could be within and certainly at the beginning of the year will all be within like five minutes of one another so you know I could see Baptiste playing like basically I you know 16 minutes and these other guys playing 14 and 12 and you know 20 whatever so I basically think that you're gonna see other than Carl and Trey if he can stay out of foul trouble you could see like well how many minutes you got in a game 40 times 5 is what 200 so 200 minutes you guys each get 30 you're at 140 now divided among nine other dudes is like what 14 15 minutes each that is legitimately a possibility i mean it won't work out that way guys will emerge and and become and will earn spots and and whatever but it's distinctly possible that you get eight nine dudes who are all getting between certainly between 10 and 20 between 10 and 20 minutes and uh that's going to be where matt mccall you know makes his money because um it's going to be really interesting to see which of those guys emerges and how he how he uses them accordingly is there anyone i missed cj i got sigh no i guess i guess no do we have a scholarship open who could be between um, between 10 and 15, 10 and 20 minutes. And then you got Randall West, who, let's be honest, might get a little run when all is said and done. Um, next question. Top three tips for making summer of 2019 an epic one from the great Billy D. Mullins. Mullins underscore D, two E's. You got to hit the beach at least a few times. Make that effort. You gotta... You, you gotta grill if you're in the burbs. I mean, I'm in the city. You can't really grill, but grilling is worth a while. Um, and, and just get outside as much as you can because when the hoop season comes, it's so fucking depressing when you can't get outside. Like, I was thinking about that the other day. Just whatever it is you do, whether you golf, whether you you do too little of it as an adult with kids you go to work you get home you, like on the weekdays it's really tough to get outside i'm playing softball friday big playoff game by the way mash last game went four for four had my first ever home run 
should definitely talk about that at some point. Um, it, my wife is contesting its legitimacy as a home run because it wasn't an error. It was like a lined shot to right center where the guy sort of slightly took a wrong angle and it skipped and it just rolled. So she's saying it's like a single with like a three base error or maybe a double, but he didn't make an error on the play. So in my opinion, it's a home run. Um, best pizza in the Valley says O'Brien twelve nineteen. Uh, Joe's Pizza in Northampton is my uh, opinion on this. I made it clear before. Um, Chad Mad Chiller Mad underscore Chiller Chad Miller, uh, great follow. Says big basketball recruits going to have an impact on attendance. Also, what's your take on McGurk improvements? Well, let's start with the first one. Uh, toilets are a good start. Um, I'm a fan. Lots more to go. Big basketball recruits going to have an impact on attendance? Only if they win. If they win, huge impact. If they don't, nobody gives a shit. Not nobody, but people outside of our world don't give as much of a shit. Gotta win. Gotta win, guys. That's the way the world works, unfortunately. Sometimes. It, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Michael Bergman asks, am I going to um, UMass versus Rutgers football? That's August 30th, definitely. And hoops, uh, for sure, planning to. Easy for me to get to from New York. i got to find out the date on that, but definitely planning on going. It's going to be dope. And most surprising player this year, David Lowell asks, D. Lowell 68, uh... I don't know if it'd be surprising because I'm if if I'm anticipating a surprise, then is it really a surprise? That's like galaxy brain shit right there. Uh, but I think I'm hearing Preston Santos is making a case. Uh, T.J. Weeks is going to be in the mix, and then if you consider a big jump from freshman to sophomore year, which often isn't all that surprising, even though the stats may suggest it is. But it always happens. Then Samba or Sai, uh, I think, is going to be up there. But I also think John Bugs might like sneakily be better than we're thinking at the moment. And I think Sean East and Colton Mitchell. So one of those. Let me just. I basically said everyone because who fucking knows? Because it could be. It could be um, C.J. Jackson too. But I, I think one of the freshman point guards will be the biggest, most surprising player this year in a good way. I assume you mean surprise in a good way. Um, I feel like there was probably some more questions, but that's what I got for now. And peace. Peace.